Welcome to the West Virginia Writers Podcast, a service of West Virginia Writers Incorporated, the Mountain State's largest all-volunteer nonprofit organization dedicated to writers. Established and incorporated in 1977, West Virginia Writers continues to support writers and writing statewide through program sponsorship, an annual writing contest, and an annual Summer Writers Conference. This podcast is dedicated to promoting the organization, its members, and events, as well as writers throughout Appalachia and beyond. And now, broadcasting from atop a hill in Mercer County, here is your host, El Presidente, Emeritus. Thank you kindly, Gertrude, and hola, listeners. Welcome to this, the eighth episode of the West Virginia Writers Podcast. I am Eric Fritz, your host. My guests on today's program are William Bittner and Daniel Boyd. William is a lifelong fan of both comic books and professional wrestling, who decided to step into the wrestling ring himself in his mid-40s and has made a career of it ever since, with over 300 matches and a dozen title belts to his name. He's also the author of the new short story collection, M is for Monster. Daniel Boyd is a professor of communications at West Virginia State University. He's also a screenwriter and director of such cult classic movies as 1987's Chillers for Troma Films, 1990's Invasion of the Space Preachers, and 1991's Paradise Park, which starred live from the mountain stage's own Larry Gross. He continues to produce and direct documentaries for the Paradise Film Institute at WVSU, such as Red Salt and Reynolds and Ghosts of Greenbottom. He, too, is a professional wrestler. These men have collaborated not only in the ring, but also for the story of an illustrated pulp-style novel called Death Falcon Zero vs. the Zombie Sluglords, for which William wrote the book. It's a tale of a trio of ne'er-do-well professional wrestlers called the Grapes of Wrath, led by the titular character Death Falcon Zero, who wind up saving the world from a triple plague of zombies, methamphetamine, and real estate scams. They're going to be leading workshops at the 2009 Summer Conference coming up next week at Cedar Lakes in Ripley. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Oh, it's great to hear. Bill, uh, what brought the two of you into the world of professional wrestling? Uh, well, as for myself, I, you know, at age 46, I'd just gotten divorced. Uh, I had a lot of time on my hands. I had a really bad attitude. Uh, felt like hurting people didn't mind if I got hurt myself. So I got a flyer from a professional wrestler, Bobby Blaze, down in Ashton, Kentucky. Went down and met with him, started training, absolutely loved it. It was the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. Unless you've actually trained for professional wrestling, you have no idea how hard it is. But I loved it, uh, had an affinity for it, and got into it. Danny, was was a story similar for you? Well, no, it was it was more a, an opportunity to adventure. I'd, at age 48, I was trying to get away from filmmaking and into publishing, and I'd done some adventure articles and uh, a couple books, and just thought this would be the time. This would be my last chance, and I could play the filmmaker card to get in quick. So I went to the local fed and said, "Hey, I'll make you a deal. You can I can help you promote if you let me have this experience, so that I can just write an article." So I finished my first run and realized I didn't want to quit. So that was for going on five years ago in August. But I think what kept me going is that Bill and I met there uh, at XMCW, and it was a really strange coincidence. You know, of course, that was in Nitro outside of Charleston. He says his name to me, and I know instantly I know his name. Our fathers had grown up together in the 1930s and 40s on the same street, uh, actually houses beside each other, on the same street in Martinsburg, West Virginia, which is, you know, the the other side of the state. And he, you know, we were the only old guys at that age, so we just became fast pals and, uh, you know, played off of each other and just kept the gimmick going. And, you know, I'm probably 100 matches later, and I'm sure Bill's a 
couple hundred matches later after that. Now, do you both wrestle as uh, individuals and as tag team with Grapes of Wrath? Right, yes, right. And, uh, Bill, you use Death Falcon Zero as your wrestling, uh, I guess, nom de wrestler. What, what, what's the official word for, term for that? Uh, your gimmick name. And Danny, you're Professor Danger? Yes. And both of these, uh, names wound up being later used as two of the characters from the Death Falcon Zero book. Bill, I'm going to assume you're not as sociopathic as the fictional version of Death Falcon Zero. <laughs> don't assume uh, too don't. much. <laughs> don't, if you'd been with me last night, you wouldn't be saying that. <laughs> do you wear the luchador mask, though? Yes, I do. Uh, Daniel, I'm curious. Professor Danger, what is your in-ring persona like? Well, sometimes you work good guy. Sometimes you work bad guy. Uh, basically, it was a nickname my students gave me because I've created a lot of international exchanges over the last 20 years and take them to interesting places like Russia and East Africa. And I think we were in Venezuela, and the, and the uh, Venezuelan students were trying to show us up by diving off the cliffs. And so I had to show them that the Americans, the West Virginians, could do it too. And I sort of picked up the nickname then, and uh, when Bill and I started getting together, we got to, I said, "What do you think of this?" And I said, "Yeah, it works." So, and I do, I do the when I'm working bad guy, I pretty much play the world's smartest wrestler, you know, which annoys everyone. That uh, you know, you're, people like to dislike their teacher, and especially someone that tells them that they're smarter than them. But yeah, just, you know, all, all these gimmicks, and even Bill will tell you. I mean, uh, they, they they sort of come out of a of a piece of us that really exists. Uh, but uh, it is more like a dual personality, I'd say. How often do the the two of you do wrestling matches these days? Uh, I wrestle probably, it averages nine, ten times a month. To tell you the truth, Eric, I just got back in the ring for the first time yesterday since October. Uh, I took a I took a little hiatus and uh, was going to wait till I felt like it again, and Bill and I started getting excited again. So I worked a show in Duck, West Virginia, which was part was wrestling and car racing in the same venue, so it was glorious. Oh, wow. <laughs> did you actually wrestle yesterday? Yes, yes. How did the match come out? It was great. It got, got good heat. Uh, Bill and I play this little, well, it's not a game. It's just what we like to do. We're, we're proud of our work. How many seconds it takes to get the crowd, you know, revved <laughs> up. And it, it's, it's generally less than 30, wouldn't you say, Bill? Yeah. We can walk into a building where nobody has seen us before, where nobody has heard us before. And within 30 seconds, everybody in that building wants to see us get our ass kicked. Every single one. <laughs> <laughs> so just playing the villain card, essentially. Exactly. Yeah, when, yeah. when we work heel. And, we, and, and when we work bad guy, you know, it's called heat. We get good heat. But when we worked good guy, baby face, we got good shine. You know, so it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Now, for our listeners who haven't read it, the... Death Falcon Zero versus the Zombie Slug Lords is an illustrated novel drawing heavily on both comic books, pulp fiction, and, of course, professional wrestling as influences. It's also a book set in West Virginia and deals with some pretty real-world issues disguised as horror tropes. How did this book come about? Well, we're actually sitting on our porch on the west side right now where the book is set, and that's where my home was when Bill and I met, and I've recently moved back there. And we, you know, I, all my work is, even as sensational as it is, there's always a heart to it. There's always some social issue, uh, sometimes more disguised than, than other times. And it all started with Bill and I taking our first road trip, and he said, hey, I've got this movie idea. And usually when anybody says that to me, I say, okay, just stop talking because I don't want to hear it. I do it for a living. I do it with my students. You know, just I, I don't even want to go there. I've got a whole pile of scripts myself. But, you know, we had a long ride, so I said, you know, shoot. So he had sort of the concept for this uh, zombie thing against the Death Falcon. 
And I think by the time we got the car back from wherever we were going, some, you know, outback match somewhere, we pretty much decided that, uh, yeah, we'll be on the west side because we can deal with some of the same issues that are plaguing our inner cities, not just the west side, but anywhere, you know, meth and drugs and hopelessness and loss of civility. So, you know, the more Bill talked, I just sort of, as a screenwriter, started adding structure to the story. And then once we had it all outlined, I don't want Bill to talk more about it, but once we had it all gridded out, you know, Bill uh, jumped in and did the novelization, and then we just kicked it back and forth from there. And then we hired the uh, Bob Tunnell, you know, Robert Tunnell, native West Virginian, uh, big and he and I were started with Troma together, but he's back in West Virginia, and he's quite known as a comic book or a graphic novel writer now with the Wicked West series, Feats of the Seven Fishes, and so forth. So he sort of helped us network into this world of the graphic novel, and that's where we found the Frame Brothers out of Philadelphia to do our illustrations. Yeah, Robert Tunnell's been one of the presenters at the West Virginia Writers Conference the past couple of years, so I've gotten to know him from there and have enjoyed his comic work. Uh, I had wonder, I knew he was involved in this somehow, but I wasn't sure exactly what the, the math was on that. Well, I'll tell you, Eric, how he's involved. He's a good West Virginia boy. You know, it's, it's amazing how West Virginians jump in and help each other. Like Morgan Spurlock giving us a quote on the back of the book, you know, and it is just, it's just, again, uh, it reinforces the, the goodness of our people and how we try to help each other. I find it really fun that nearly every major character in the book is either a former professional wrestler or a zombie, right down to the main <laughs> villain, Senator Legend, and even the governor. I have to assume this is partially inspired by such folks as Jesse the Body Ventura being elected to office among like half the cast of Predator, I think. Uh, that was partially it, and partially it was just, um, we just wanted to give a shine to some of our friends, you know. I mean, these are all people that uh, we know personally, everyone that's in the book. And we just thought, you know, uh, they're going to be carried to the book anyway, let's just make them these people we know, you know. So, so these, are, these are other wrestlers? Yes, yes, they're all other wrestlers. Like I say, even, you know, the, the bigger names like uh, Johnny Valiant, you know, and... Uh, some of the small and stuff like that, uh, they're buddies of ours, you know? So we thought we'd put them in the book. Yeah, Valiant, Valiant's a WWE Hall of Fame member. Uh, Joe yeah. Legend, big time. Head Shrinker Samu, former uh, uh, WWE champion. So, I mean, we worked in our big time buddies and our, our local buddies. Now, the team of the Grapes of Wrath are the, the three main characters of Death Falcon Zero. We're given a little bit of backstory on the team in the book, though there's, there's plenty of information to piece a lot of it together and even more hints on the, the website there. How do you imagine their fictional backstories to differ from your real-life wrestling backstories? Uh, Go ahead, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, there's more truth than fiction in that book, I have to tell you. Um, and Although, it had to be fair, other than Talent. Talent's a nice guy. Talent's not a crackhead. He's a good fellow. But, you know... Uh, pretty much the backstories are we took aspects, obviously not you know everything. We took aspects of our uh, our real selves and put them in the book. Now, for a pulp style tale, there, as we've mentioned before, there's a good deal of subtext with uh, the zombies of the title in particular. They, in question in the book, originate from an even further chemically altered version of methamphetamine that winds mm -hmm. up turning people into rotting living dead creatures out to feast upon the living which, when you think about it, is not all that different from what actual meth does to people. True. This seems to be a pretty valid analogy for what has become a real-world plague. Well, well, I mean, and, and that's what we thought. It, it, it was just a... Life, I mean, you, know, you can't blame the people. I mean, the life beats people down, and 
excellent victims to, to things, and it's almost gotten to the point where people are, are willing to kill themselves to just function through the world that they're in. So, I mean, yeah, exactly what you said. That's what, that's what we were thinking about it. And we don't sit in judgment of, of drug addicts or, you know, we sit in judgment more of the people that create that system and allow it to happen from the outside and re- rather than coming on the inside. And that's what we wanted to say, too. The, the, the Reverend James there is actually based on a real minister here on the west side, Reverend James Ely, who has a community center for at-risk kids. And uh, sort of a lot of our inspiration came from him. But it, you just can't blame the the users. You have to you have to look further. And but before you have, before you do that, you need to get back inside the community and respark the goodness. Well, that was definitely a message I took from the book, and was quite happy to see those levels there. I'm not saying I was surprised to find them, because this certainly takes its inspiration from comics, and comics have forged their own path over the past forty years or so, as far as literary depth goes. It was certainly a nice find, though. Well, thanks. And that's what I try to tell tell my students. Uh, you know, it, it don't never be ashamed of doing exploitation. Never be ashamed if you like horror, do horror. If you like science fiction, do science fiction. If you like ultra violence, do it. But give it a heart, and it's really not that hard to do. Give it, give it a little purpose. Just don't preach it, but uh, put put something in there, and you'll, you know, twenty years down the road, you're gonna feel a little better about it. Now you're both self self described comic book fans. Uh, do either of you keep up with comics uh, today? Uh, not as much as I would like. I have a real problem with a lot of the revisionism that goes on. Uh, you know, I like I like the originals. I like the original Spider-Man and Fantastic Four and Flash and everything, and, and Hawkman. And just I try and read them now, and I just I just don't like you know some of the retakes they've done and the re retakes they've done on them. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I, I'll pick up graphic novels at the uh, library, and if it's something I've never read before, something new, I like that. You know, I loved, even though it's not new, I loved Watchmen. I love things like that. I'm just not a real big fan of some of the current takes on the old favorites that I was reading when I was a kid, you know. Have either of you read a book from uh, Dark Horse Comics called The Goon? Yes, yes. And, and there's there's some goon in Death Falcon Zero, too, you may have noticed. I was going to recommend that because I thought that it, it was the kind of book that, that seemed to touch on a lot of the major elements found in Death Falcon Zero, I mean, you've got the the hulking sociopath near do well characters, but they also have hearts of gold, yeah. um, and of course, lots of zombies. Um, yeah, I like the goon quite a bit. Well, my my catch up was a thirty year. I took a thirty year break from comic books. I hadn't read one. Bill had to start me up to that whole world once we, because basically what happened, the, the Death Falcon Zero book was a movie. We'd already shot the foreign scenes. We shot the Tanzania scenes in East Africa. We shot the scenes in Prague in the Czech Republic. And it just was too big for us, and it was never going to happen. So it was another one of our you know, tens of thousands of mile road trips that we've done where uh, I said, to get this thing done, let's do an illustrated novel. And then I started you know, revisiting the world of the graphic novel, and I've just been – I'm shocked at what has happened it, it, I lo- to the point where I now teach it. I've, I've created a new program in our department called Graphic Narrative, and uh, you know, I'm just blown away by things like Mouse, you know, the concentration camp series. Oh, certainly. But – I would have to say, like Bill, I'm still pretty much old school. The Watchmen is not only one of the not only the greatest graphic novel that I've read; it's one of the greatest books I've read, and also one of the greatest films I've seen. You know, it just it just really really touched me. Uh, unfortunately, people want to see X Men, you know, uh, that are all you know sped up and so forth. But there's a lot of good stuff out there. Oh, and the last thing, Eric, on that was 
you know, what, what was been really liberating for me to make a movie. I mean, God, it takes years of your life. I just love this freedom of Bill and I are sitting on the porch now talking about our follow-up book to this. A year from now, it's a year from now or less, it's going to be done and out. You know, it's just a quicker turnaround. And actually, I get the same satisfaction of storytelling that I got with filmmaking. So it, it's been a natural fit for our program of, you know, for filmmakers to, um, you know, sort of move into the world of graphic narrative because it's really film and graphic narrative are very similar. Now, what is your follow-up book to this? Oh, well, do we say, Bill? Uh, yeah, I'm good. If you're good, yeah, tell me. Yeah. Uh, Death Falcon Zero versus the Evil Coal Baron. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> now, you mentioned uh, you mentioned graphic narrative. That's going to be one of the workshops you both are doing at the conference this year, at the West Virginia Writers' Summer Conference. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that and some of the other workshops you're doing as well? Well, I'm, you know, I've been a teacher for 30 years, uh, well, 20, 26 years. So I'm, I'm pretty much a nuts and bolts guy, simplify things because none of it's rocket science. So it's, it's basically going through the basics, which, you know, we, we should do in any of our arts, any of our crafts. And, um, uh, in the graphic narrative, we'll look at the different areas of graphic narrative. We'll, we'll talk more about it's another way of storytelling and, and moving with the, you know, a visual storyline, some of the good works out there, and also a way to keep people working. You know, West Virginia writers have a tough time. You know, this publishing business is really crazy right now. So it might be another venue for them uh, for things that they were thinking more more visual. And and actually, it's it's kind of um it's so new to us. We're just excited to talk about it. So with graphic narrative, it'll it'll be, you know, here, look at this world. Come play with us. It, it, it's actually doable. Here's the book. Look at it. Uh, for my other workshop, screenwriting, it's, it's pretty much nuts and bolts. It's, you know, I teach the three-act system, and, you know, I'll break it into its five elements. And then my nuts and bolts of the three-act is basically I take people through a checklist of things that help them flesh out their story, character development, environment, antagonism, protagonism, things like that. But, um, you know, it's, it's always an enjoyable couple hours. Or... Well, gentlemen, thank you for taking us through this uh tour de force of of wrestling and comics and and graphic narrative and i look forward to seeing you both at the conference this year you too yeah, eric. Look to see you eric very much both daniel boyd and william bittner can be found online at grapesofwrath.biz a site that details their characters from death falcon zero William Bittner's new short story collection, M is for Monster, will be available within the next week through Amazon.com. Daniel Boyd can also be found at DanielBoyd.com. Some of his documentaries are also available online, and we've posted links to them on our own website, wvwriters.org slash podcast.html. Next week on the program, we'll be doing a book-ending double feature of podcast in honor of it being the week of our conference. On Monday, we'll speak with Keith Pitzer, who, along with his wife, Joan, will be leading songwriting workshops and providing Saturday night musical entertainment for the conference. We'll play some of their music as well. And on Friday, we'll speak with one of the founders of West Virginia Writers, Mr. Kirk Judd. We'll talk about the early years of West Virginia Writers, as well as his upcoming Allegheny Echoes music and writing workshops, which he also helped create, taking place in Marlinton, West Virginia, June 21st through the 27th. Our opening voiceover was provided by Marcus Gertrude Vowell. Our show's theme music is used with permission by its composer, Pops Walker, and was taken from the soundtrack to the audio adaptation of Lee Maynard's Crumb, found at Mountain Whispers Audiobooks. 
This podcast was produced by Mr. Herman's Production Company Limited and was recorded atop a hill in Mercer County.